Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled along with all Jerusalem. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall also come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them at what time the star first appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they saw when it rose went before them and came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down before him and worshiped. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned to dream, not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. familiar with the story it's often included in Christmas plays acted out by children wise men in the east see a star and the star leads them to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem and they encounter Herod first and then the Christ child and they open up their gifts gold frankincense and myrrh and offer those gifts to him and also their worship well known story this morning, we're going to pay attention to, to kind of three things, three items. First, the star. And in particular, the response that the wise men have to the star. Secondly, we're going to look at Herod. And in particular, the wise men's response to Herod. Then we're going to, of course, come and draw near to the Christ child there with his mother and see the response of the wise men offering up of gifts and of worship. And then eventually we're going to depart, all of us, and so maybe we can do that like the wise men too. So first, 
As we enter in, let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are good and your steadfast love endures forever and your faithfulness to each generation. We thank you that you know something about the yearning that we find in each of our hearts, a yearning for things to be set right, which ultimately is a yearning for you in the coming of your kingdom. We thank you for this journey upon which you set these wise men, these kings from the east. We pray that since you have now drawn us into your family and made us co-heirs with Christ, set us up to reign with you that we too might journey, not being distracted by those who call for our attention in Jerusalem, but remaining true to the journey upon which you have set us. We pray that we might also draw near to our Lord as King of kings and Lord of lords, you, Lord Jesus. We ask all of this in your name as we open our ears to hear you speak. Amen. So first, the star, the star. Uh, we live in a moment in time uh, that is dominated by materialism, meaning though we personally uh, and collectively as the church don't believe that physical things are all that exists, we operate as if that is the case. Uh, that there's nothing else except for matter. And so when we hear this story and we hear a star rising in the east and wise men who followed the star, and we wonder how in the, how in the world does, does a star appear in the sky and then that flaming ball of fire move and appear and disappear and then show up in Jerusalem, but then lead the people to a, a particular house? How does the star actually rest above the house in such a way that they know that it's that's the one. I mean, obviously, a star couldn't do that without burning up the house or the earth. How so far above the heavens could it actually identify the place where he lived? And so we get trapped. Is this a miracle? Or we decide, well, we need to make excuses for this and maybe alter the way that we're perceiving it. And we need to say something about, like, well, that couldn't quite have happened because we know how science works and how material objects move and we totally get hung up on that. Uh, but someone reading this or hearing this story, I mean, even the wise men themselves seeing this story, they, they weren't hung up on this. Uh, why? Because they didn't live in a world dominated by this philosophy of materialism. Um, and they also, like all ancient peoples nearly, understood the stars to be associated with the angelic host. So that doesn't mean that the stars, the physical things, were the angels. That's not what they meant. But the stars were associated with the angelic host. Who are the angelic host? Those who surround the heavenly throne of the Lord and offer him praise, but also participate, have some responsibilities. These angels have responsibilities of governance of the creation that God has made. And so they're given assignments, various things, but, but also... One of the chief things that they were tasked with, particular set of angels, you, you hear it in the name, angel, angelos, is emissary or messenger. Angels were tasked with bringing messages from the divine throne room to the earth. And so an ancient person would have heard of a star which led them, and they're like, yeah, the angel came from God and led 
the folks where they needed to go. Angelic messenger. We don't know exactly the, the fullness of the content of the message. It's not included here. We do know that when they show up in Jerusalem, they say, where's the king of the Jews? Where's the one who's been born? So at least containing, uh, contained in this message was the word of a king born to the Jewish people. But there had to be more to that message than simply this. There were kings in a far country. A child who's been born a king in a distant land. I mean, it could have taken maybe up to a couple years for them to make this journey. And so, like, wouldn't it have been much easier to get online and go to Amazon and, like, find the registry that Mary and Joseph had set up and just send two-day shipping, right? And they could have just given a gift or written a note or sent, like, sent, like, an official word from the kingdom. But that's not what they did, is it? They didn't. Instead, they saddled up and they made the long journey there to offer not just gifts, but to offer worship. Here's a king born not just king of the Jews. Apparently, this king was king of kings, lord of lords, worthy not just of a gift or an acknowledgement, honor and respect, but worthy of worship. The worship of the nations is offered up to this child in a manger. The star. A word from God that a child had been born, who's king of kings, lord of lords, these kings from the east, Watch what they do. They, they, they hear this message and very simply, very immediately, very intentionally, they set out on a journey towards that one. And really that's what Advent's about, isn't it? We too journey. Now we don't, we're not journeying to Bethlehem. We're not journeying to Jerusalem. But we are called to journey towards Christ. To experience renewal to experience a revival. Where has Christ come? Christ continues to come. He was born once in Bethlehem, in a particular time and place. He's not born over and over again in Bethlehem, but he continues to come to us, as Advent testifies. Where? So even as he was placed in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, a manger that symbolized an altar, so too does He continue to come to us who trust in Him. He comes to us and resides, is laid, is rests upon the altar of our hearts. So the journey that we must take, that you must take this Advent, the journey upon which um, Christ invites you, is a journey to discover Him in the manger that is your heart. To discover the one that lives in you and loves you, and comes to you, the one who is worthy of your worship, the King of kings and Lord of lords, can you believe it? That He lives in you. But that's not the only place where Christ resides, for He is everywhere and fills all things. He also is enthroned upon the praises of His people, say the Scriptures. And so we must also come here. We must also gather 
Whether we're gathering online or whether we're gathering in person, we must gather with God's people in the power of the Spirit. For truly Christ is enthroned. He meets us when we worship Him. So Advent is not actually a time when we can sit back and sort of receive and receive and receive and receive. In the story, the, the only thing the wise men receive is a message a word from heaven, and then they become the ones who journey, who give. Advent is an active season. And certainly we know that this is an active season, but I'm not talking about shopping, right? Or decorating, or all the busyness. I'm talking about this interior work, this work that we do as God's people. It requires something of us. Can we, can you respond as simply and immediately as the wise men? That's the star. They hear a message, they respond, they go. And they make their way first to Jerusalem and to King Herod. They come to Herod, that's the second piece. Herod was not a nice guy, was he? Uh, Herod is infamous for all the folks that he murdered, in part. Killing lots of people. Uh, maintaining uh, power. Uh, maintaining authority. Um, maintaining his place in sort of the Roman hierarchy uh, and his position of rule over Judea, that region, that area. Some of these people that Herod murdered were in his own family. And certainly after this episode, what does he do? He issues an edict that all male children to and under would be murdered in the whole area in which he had authority. Why? Because he wanted to kill this kid he heard was born that might one day threaten his position. Pretty awful guy. And so the wise men come, kings from a far country, and they come and they're led first to Jerusalem. And they enter into the halls of power there. The symbol of worldly power. The Romans had conquered pretty much the known world. And so when these foreign kings come into this new territory where they don't have authority, they do what they ought to do. They come in and they show respect. They honor Herod as the one in charge. They come inquiring of him where now they ought to go and how they should be directed. And we know that Herod is not really on the up and up. He's not being truthful with them about what he really wants to do. He, sent, he says, okay, go on and go ahead and, and find this child. And when you find him, send word, bring me word so that I can also come and worship him. But that's not what he wanted, was it? He wanted to just kill him. So notice how the kings come and they, they pay homage and they, and they show respect and deference in this place that is not their own. They show up, but they aren't co-opted. They aren't co-opted into Herod's mission, are they? They maintain the mission that they have been given by God. They come, they show respect, and they're not really that moved by Herod are they? It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way. Isn't that a great line? Now, how, how does this connect with us? Well, we've been 
we've been given an announcement. We've heard a message. In part, that's what the preaching of the word is. It's, it's a message. It's God's word to us that Christ has been born. He, he desires us to come. The God who comes to us desires us to come to him. And so we know that we must make this journey through Advent, this time of yearning and hope and desire for God, for the kingdom to come. But as we do, we must, we must also journey through Jerusalem. Do we not live in a time of political upheaval? It says when the, when, the message, when the wise men came to Herod, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and they called everybody together. There was an uproar. We live in a time of uproar. An inauguration will not take place until January, which means that we have to go through this time through Advent. Which means that you could easily be co-opted by a different narrative, a different mission, a different story. You could easily be co-opted by those who are trying to take power or keep power or shuffle power. You could easily be co-opted not by the message you have received from God and His Word, but by the message that you receive through the lighting, lighted screen of your television. This does not mean, notice what the wise men, the wise men show up. They show respect. And we too, as, as citizens of a country, are called to engage faithfully and responsibly in the governance and in the political systems of our nation, right? We show up, but we're not co-opted. The political system as it exists at present is actually... Uh, in many ways, has actually in many ways taking the form of religious faith. There are lots of symbols. There's lots of rituals. There's lots of um, uh, gatherings of people. There, there's all manner of things that, I mean, if you look at the patterns, the patterns are religious patterns. You could easily move through Advent and actually not make it to Bethlehem, not make it to the Christ who beckons you. You could just end up stuck in Jerusalem co-opted by Herod. Couldn't we? It would be so easy for that to happen. So right now at the beginning, let's decide. Let's have our eyes open. Let's say, that's not going to happen to me. That's not going to happen to us. The point of Advent is not to buy things and to figure out who's going to be president coming up and to pick our sides. The point of Advent is to be filled with the yearning for things to be set right. To meet Christ who comes and draws near to us. To discover again that the one who fashioned the heavens and the earth also has come to reside in you. Like, that's way more dramatic than what you see on television, right? Way more dramatic. So let's make our way to Bethlehem where the wise men go, led by this star, led by this angelic messenger, we might say. And when they saw the angel as it had come to reside over the house, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There's another good line. And they entered the house. The house in which the Savior was found. 
and, and, and the scripture says, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. It's such a great image. You can picture that, can't you? It's such a visual and striking image. They, they enter, upon entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Now, as we practice our, our, our faith um, as Presbyterians and as Protestants in the particular patterns that we have set, we don't, we don't see many images. We don't see many icons. But, but um, most Christians in the world today, this morning, who come to worship are going to see a picture of Mary and Jesus, of Mary holding Jesus. Uh, it's the icon of the Theotokos, which means God-bearer. Isn't that a title? For Mary, the one who bore God in her womb. And so they're going to come into church and they're going to see this icon. And in the icon, you see Mary seated kind of as a throne. She's sort of, she looks almost like a seat. And, and she sort of has her, her one hand under the Christ child in a tender way. In a way that is sort of snuggling up him up close, holding him um, tightly drawing him in close to her heart. But this other hand is sort of positioned at the back and sort of makes it look like she is offering Christ to whoever is standing and looking at the image, meaning to you. Isn't that a great picture? Because Mary's an image of the church, because we also, God resides in us. And we, in some mysterious way, Lord have mercy upon us, bear God in our bodies. And so we're called to draw him close, draw him in close to us, to cling to him. But also we're called as the church to offer him to the world. Isn't that what the wise men saw when they walked into the house? And saw the child with Mary, his mother. And when they saw him, what did they do? They fell down and worshipped him. That is where Advent is calling us. To fall down before God Almighty, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who created all things who supports and uh, preserves everything that exists by the word of his power, who also is so humble that he came to us as a child, as a babe, and was laid in a manger, giving up his power and authority in love. Don't get stuck in Jerusalem with Herod. Don't become a Herod. Make your way to Bethlehem where you can fall down before this one who is so unimaginably good and so unimaginably powerful that he can lay it all down so as to draw us near. As they worship him, they then open up their treasures and they offer him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you say, if this is the king of kings and lord of lords, if, if, if everything belongs to him, why do they give him gifts? It's not like he doesn't already own it. Why do they give him gifts? These gifts symbolize more than, than what they are. 
gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, so the gift of gold is a recognition that the gifts um, identify the one who receives them. In giving these gifts, the wise men say, we're giving you these things on purpose because they say something about you and who we believe you to be. And so they give the child gold because they recognize he is the king, king of kings and lord of lords, and gold is an image and a symbol of kingship. And in so doing, they also, through that gold, offer them the gift of their faith. The gold is a symbol of faith. Because they're saying, we believe you are the king. When they give him frankincense, which is an incense, you burn it and it's, it fills the air and rises up into the heavens like the prayers, like our prayers, rise to the Father. They're offering Christ frankincense as a sign of worship, which means they also are identifying him to be God, who alone is worthy of worship. And in offering him myrrh as a gift, which was this, this, this perfume that was often used um, as an embalming agent. They prophetically declare that this babe who now is wrapped in swaddling clothes will one, die, one day be wrapped in grave clothes because this one is the one who offers himself up for the life of the world. And so as they do this, they offer up a testimony a witness, the, the gift of evangelism because they proclaim who Jesus is to all, to all who have ears to hear. They offer their faith in the gold, their worship in the frankincense, and the testimony of who Christ is, the Savior who gives His life to the world as they offer myrrh. In a few moments we too are going to offer up gifts. It's not like God needs your money, is it? But we offer it because He calls us. Because if we're going to be the kind of people shaped after Christ who pours out His life, who gives everything He has to the world, then we need to practice giving. Or else we become like Herod who's just trying to protect all that is his so we need to practice that giving but in doing so we also acknowledge who god get god is we offer him not just our finances but we do that as signs of ourselves of all of our faith of all of our worship of all of our belief that he is the one who has granted salvation to us and we're going to do that in the name of the father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.